So we're legitimately sitting here wondering, that's why it's at a crossroads, whether this is a team that just needed a, a wake-up call and it has gotten it and will react the same way it did the last two years, or whether this is just not a very good team. Hello and welcome to the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast, Spotlight Edition. I don't know if it's Spotlight Edition, if it's uh, Seth Emerson again. Seth Emerson again. I talked to Seth. As you know, I'm friends with Seth. He writes for The Athletic. He has his damn good podcast, which I'll have you know, we confirm on this episode that Tony Waller gave him the name for. So, congratulations. I hope he gets a commission. Thanks for working for the competition there, Tony. Anyway, uh, kind of a heady time in the world of Georgia football right now, to say the very least. We're also in the midseason moment. It seemed like a good time to come back around and check in with my friend, Seth Emerson, about uh, what football is looking like at this particular moment heading into the Florida game. People are freaking out. I know donors are starting to lose their mind a little bit. Everyone, uh, Everyone's in a dark place when it comes to Georgia football. And uh, as we discussed on last week's show uh, at the, uh, the Pine, uh, I'm not always sure the coaching staff and players are reacting in the optimal fashion. Anyway, I talked to Seth about that. I talked to him about basketball. I talked to him about the fact that Kirby Smart wears a freaking visor in the middle of a rainstorm for some reason. And we have lots to discuss. So follow Seth Emerson. He's something on Twitter. Uh, you'll find him. Just type in Seth Emerson. You'll find him. And, of course, follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to us. Give us reviews. All that sort of stuff. We're going to be back with a regular show uh, next week. I think we're taping Monday or Tuesday. I think maybe Tuesday uh, of next week to preview the Florida game. But there'll be a couple of good stuff for you to listen to this week. So uh, here's Seth uh, talking all sorts of business uh, during this pretty crazy time to be a George football fan. All right, I know that we already did this podcast one the beginning of the season, talking to our, our, my friend Seth Emerson from The Athletic, uh, and I promised I was going to buy you dinner. I haven't done that yet, so now I owe you two dinners, because we're having a mid-season podcast, uh, because A, it is mid-season. I guess it counts as mid-season. Is it officially mid-season? I think it's probably officially yeah, mid-season. Yeah, first off, you're a deadbeat. Yeah, I know. Uh, sorry. I know. Um, even though we did our mid-season story last week because it was halfway through the regular season, I just realized that it's halfway through the season if Georgia makes it to the SEC championship game but doesn't go to the national championship if they play a 14-game season like they did last year. So I, I still think that that's the most likely scenario. So, yeah, let's call it a mid-season Report. Either it is just past the midway point, or most Georgia fans will have decided this season did not, in fact, happen at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it did yeah. not exist. It did seem a good time, obviously, uh, with the Florida game uh, coming up uh, next week. But also, it's a particularly uh, fascinating time uh, in Georgia football history uh, at this particular moment. So I thought it was a good time to ring you up and go over some of it. Now, you wrote a great piece uh, for The Athletic I say this all the time in the podcast, but this was a particularly good one. Also, side note about your stuff at The Thank Athletic. You. I have many friends that work at The Athletic, including you. And the thing they have constantly been broadcasting to me since they started, of all the other great things that The Athletic does well, they always say, well, you know, we have a higher level of commenters. It is my personal theory as a longtime reader of The Athletic that as it's becoming more and more popular and more and more read, your comment section is getting worse. <laughs> just like the internet itself. Yes. Just like the internet itself. Because the internet was awesome when there weren't very many people on it and then there were a bunch of people on it and then they ruined it and i wouldn't say that your comment section is ruined but it is not the utopia it once was 
No, no. And I, I say this having like an hour ago, having gone on there and angrily responded to somebody who like went after me for the premise of my season at a crossroads piece and comparing it to uh, past seasons saying, well, those weren't crossroads games, Seth, you know, blah, 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 and being totally patronizing and everything. And I was just, I was probably a little bit pissy yeah. back. Can I say that on your thing? But it's like, and I was sitting there going, look, I don't, I don't want to let certain comments just stand. I want to defend myself on some stuff. On the other hand, it's kind of like with Twitter where I just use the mute button so liberally now that I think there's thousands of people out there that are screaming at me. And it's great. It's, it's yeah, like, a, it's it, like a horrible curse to put on them. They have no idea yeah. that and whatever, yeah. like, listen, I don't want to overdo this. Like generally speaking, my, my, my general thought process about working in media is at least a third of our job is very similar to what a third of a ref's job is, which is to say, uh, journalists always tell themselves we're like refs because we're doing it both sides. But the way that we're really about refs is a large part of our job is providing a public service to be yelled at. Like I just, yes. I honestly think that's yes. a large part of the job. And so I never mind it. And I, 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 to me, I wrote for a very long time with nobody paying me and nobody reading me. So for me, the fact that anyone would care at all, uh, I will never get too upset as long as it, as long as they don't go personal with like someone in my family or right. anything. I really don't care about, uh, really anything they say, but I do feel obliged to point out that like, I, uh, I always enjoyed the, uh, I, uh, the, the, well, the athletic comment system is, is, series is a Socratic debate, an exchange of ideas. And I'm like, nope, you got a bunch of readers yeah. now. Welcome no, to the party no, of the no. rest of us. Well, you're you're right. There's like there's these comments on my stories lately have devolved into apparently there's an Ohio State versus Georgia Tech argument going on on some of my stories, and it's kind of like. Where where did this start? <laughs> I, I'm going with Ohio State on that one. By the way, I know the controversial yeah. uh, there. Or or I, I don't I don't even know what it is. I, I see it. I see the argument. I'm kind of I go by it, but I, I do tell myself a lot though that as as much as you get annoyed by the criticism and people yelling at you, it's like well that's better than oh, yeah. nobody caring what you write. I'm also and, I'm also usually wrong. So, so well, that is worth keeping in mind. I feel yeah. like usually the criticism is, is somewhat justified. You're right about the serving to get yelled at part too, because it, and we're hearing that now with Georgia's season taking a downward turn. Yes, segue, South Carolina segue. And, and yes. Not, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. But people are yelling at us and they're yelling at us because they want us to hear them because they can't go to Kirby Smart themselves. They can't go to Jake Fromm. Uh, James Coley, these people that they want to, you know, have be answerable to them and accountable. So they yell at us so that we are the ones. I mean, it, it is when you think about it, a pretty decent system where we hear from people and they say, here are my concerns, here are my concerns. And you get to kind of add up like, all right, I've got this many people ask me about this and blah, blah, blah. And then we get to sit down at a press conference and ask Kirby Smart about stuff and we filter out say all right you know this i don't think is a big deal but if i'm hearing from a lot of people i'll give you an example how many people have asked about why jake Fromm doesn't throw to the middle of the field i'm not the one who asked the question but uh one of my colleagues decided you know what i don't necessarily agree with that premise but i want to see what kirby smart says about it because i hear about it from so many fans and so he asked kirby about it in press conference and elicited an answer Maybe not a satisfying answer, but he was asked about it, and that's the way the system's supposed to work. 
All right, so this is a good way to get into it. Uh, it seems to me, and correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, in your piece you wrote about the Crossroads uh, uh, games, really every single time that Georgia's kind of had its back against the wall, whether in uh, in 2016, uh, well, I'll actually kind of go through in 2016, it was the uh, 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 when they were after they lost to Florida, and it looked like they right. really get out of control, and then they beat Kentucky, and then beat Auburn, and then the Georgia Tech game was bad. But generally speaking, you got a sense that they were on the right track. Uh, at least it could have gotten a lot. Worse yeah, could have got a lot worse. They, they I mean, lost nothing, at home to Auburn. And, yeah, yeah, you know, and, uh, and nothing could have been worse than losing to Nichols, which I really feel like we should never forget. Almost happened, but uh, nevertheless, uh, that was a, that was a moment where it could have gone bad, and it didn't. 2017 after Auburn. Obviously, it could have gone bad after that. 2018, after LSU, here is a moment that I would argue is, in fact, worse than any of the losses that we've discussed uh, with that South Carolina game. And what I find interesting, we can talk about we we can talk about the team and talk about what they're doing and, and so on. But you know, for me, I tend to come at these things from uh, I tend to feel like a lot of uh, the mood of the fan base is often as big of a story as what is going on on the field. And uh, because particularly in something like college football, where the mood of the fan base can in fact dictate transactions and dictate contracts and dictate uh, new buildings and all of the things that go on in college football. Uh, to me, uh, I was at the game, uh, at, at the Kentucky game, I was at South Carolina's game as well, as well. The level of anger and frustration that I saw, uh, particularly in the first four possessions, possessions where the, the, uh, the booze were not just audible, like they were cascading. I don't think there's really any question about that. I, see, I, was, I usually sit on the end of the end zone, but I was actually sitting right next to the press box. Uh, uh, so I, I looked for you in there, but somebody was busy typing. Um, but I would say that um, the level of booze, it was really kind of unprecedented for what I've certainly in the Kirby Smart era. And I would argue probably since the Bauta uh, game. And I don't even know if I've ever I feel like there was almost a resignation mm. rather than, than disappointment at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, that is something that obviously the players heard it. Obviously, to me, the players, I don't think it's the job of a player to adequate to, to, to uh, be able to uh, interpret and figure out exactly what the boos are for. To me, it seems pretty clear they were uh, set the play calling and at the coaching staff. Um, my theory, and I, I've been kind of researching this, I don't think Kirby Smart's ever been booed before. I mean, he's been booed by the other team's fans, but my yeah. guess is there's probably not been a time where he personally or the people that he has hired has been booed. Do you, do you think I'm incorrect in that? You know, he actually said the other night that it's not the first time. I think he said he's been on a staff that's been booed and it won't be the last time. So maybe it's happened. I mean, there might have been some isolated times at Georgia where they – yeah, they might have been like annoyed with like not going for it on a fourth down yeah, that, or something. Well, but not not that. Yeah. Not that. Yeah. No, and and what well, not an actual correct. indictment indictment of what he's doing and the people he have put together yeah. is doing. Yeah. And to not only have it be a boo, but it was I would argue it was mostly universal. I really didn't see I didn't see yeah. people in the section being like, knock it off, guys, let's support him. I have to say it seemed pretty universal across the board. And what I find interesting was the reaction to it. It seemed, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong and you were there, it seemed defensive to me uh, uh, and almost um, uh, circle the wagony. Uh, do you think that's that's a fair assessment? And how would you actually adequately assess the mood of the fan base uh, at this particular moment? Well, 
Kirby himself, I think, handled it deftly. He has not been defensive about it both times he was asked about it. In fact, the, the first time he was asked post game, he basically said, you know, that's their right. That's they, they pay for a ticket. They have a right to do that. Um, he didn't say anything like we deserved to be booed. He just said that's their right and kind of left it at that. And when he was asked about it earlier this week, uh, he, he, the, he was framed as have you talked to your players about it? He said, well, we didn't have to. They know it wasn't directed at them, which implies, you know, he knew that it was aimed at him and James Coley, someone up in a press box. It's just, but they can't like turn and right. boo at the press box because I would be offended. Yeah, they think they were and, doing it to you, and they might have been. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my tweets have adequately summed up this. No, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and that it was fans venting. The players didn't take it as well, but there, I think DeAndre Swift said something. And, and I think Jeff Schultz had it in his column because he had the quote. He was there when DeAndre said it. Um, some of the players have kind of passive aggressively tweeted about it. So yeah, I saw some of those as more well. Personally, even though it wasn't directed at them, as Kirby Smart elucidated. Do you? Uh, I agree with that, though. I did. I did see. I, he may have. He may have been talking specifically about the wet ball. I know there was a quote about like if you haven't done it before. Uh, uh, I think that was a quote from the post game conference as well. Like, if you haven't done it, because I, a lot of the things that uh, they talk about from and throwing the ball and the and the and, and the conditions in Kentucky, I know he said that like if you haven't done it before, so on, then you can't. From, did From say that, or did I Kirby thought say Kirby that? had said that in defense of From, but you were there, so yeah, I, and that's something Kirby was saying. Kirby, Kirby will take his shots at at people, right. uh, and and by people I mean the media, right. and. You know, he says you guys a lot, and yeah. you guys are. Well, if you, I argued on last week's podcast, the if you haven't done it before, you can't criticize. It's like the ultimate dumb guy defensive things. Like, you yeah. know, it drives me a little bit crazy. Uh, but, uh, but the, I think he may have just been talking about the ball rather than like if you haven't coached yeah. a football team, then uh, you, you can't criticize. But yeah, there, there have been there have been a lot of those kind of type of comments from Kirby. So maybe I just kind of let them slide by now without even thinking about it but that one didn't register very do you think there is a sense and it's hard because you know i said we're not in the in the locker room do you think there is a sense of uh an understanding of the frustration fair or not because uh, again, I I have long made the argument that I mean I was talking to my friend Ben Mathisilli who writes for Slate about college football, and uh, he was talking about how this the weird world of the, the the playoff has created, where if you don't if you don't win the championship, you can, you can go eleven and one for five years, and if you don't win the championship in Georgia, they're going to want to throw them out the window, and that's kind of the weird thing about about all of this. Uh, so I don't know if it's always fair. But certainly, uh, do you think they're aware? I mean, has, since Kirby Smart's gotten here, particularly since 2017, I mean, he's a golden man. He's a golden guy. I mean, like I've been in a restaurant where yeah. he walked in, and the whole and the plates drop to the ground, and everybody stops, uh, and that's great until it switches. Uh, do you think they're aware? Not necessarily. There's been a switch because I don't think that's quite happened yet. But the level of frustration right now is probably higher than it's been in, in the other point since he's been coach. I, I think I lean on this. I, increasingly, I always lean on the side of no matter what they say publicly, they know what is going on privately. And I think they do, especially with as much as Georgia has become about the message and, you know, making sure that things aren't done off the cuff and, and being, you know, one voice, one message with 
Kirby talking and managing the message, I think is what I'm trying to say. I think that that betrayed, we don't get their honest opinion a lot of the time anymore, but I'm pretty sure that the honest opinion is that they, they get it. They know. And the offense knows that they've got to do better. Do you think it's funny you mentioned the honest opinion and one of the uh, maybe narratives is the wrong way to put it, but of course one of, I think one of the perceptions uh, that I think people have of the coaching staff, even people that, that like the coaching staff and like the organization and like Kirby smart is there is a certain perhaps arrogance is too strong, but then insularity uh, uh, to them that I, I would argue comes across to you and uh, guys in the press, to be honest, uh, the idea that uh, there's the job of a coach, again, the highest paid public, the highest paid public employee in the state of Georgia uh, to stand in front of people and answer questions. And you can, you, I would argue the best, no offense to the other ones, uh, reporter on the Georgia beat can say, Oh yeah, they're obviously not being honest. <laughs> and, and we all yeah. just understand that. I would argue, uh, to me, do you think it is fair to make that connection, which I would argue comes out of a certain stubbornness and a certain insularity, a connection to that, to the whole man ball concept, right? Like, I think one of the frustrations that team fans have is the idea that, like, they have a plan and they stick to it. I'm sure, I don't know if you saw Richard Johnson's piece for SB Nation, kind of arguing, connecting Georgia and Wisconsin about this, about how that kind of man ball thing works, until it doesn't, and if you don't have another, if you don't have another gear or another another adjustment, uh, you're prone to have uh, South Carolina or even Illinois beat you. Uh, I'm curious, and to me, I, I, there's obviously different thing. One is off field, and one is on field. But it seems to me, from uh, a further outside place of view, that there does seem to be. Uh, a certain uh, this and this is the way it's going to be. This is a plan and we're sticking to it uh, and we will shut out all criticism uh, to the contrary that sometimes may even leak into we're not changing our plan at all. I want to see the Florida game and I want to see what goes forward because if they come out and if they are the same man ball approach after what we've seen over the first seven games, then yeah, they are stubborn. Now, it may work. I don't think that it's their best chance to win the SEC championship and win any playoff game they get into after that. But it could be enough to beat Florida. It could be enough to beat Auburn and Texas A&M and Missouri. But I'm curious whether they're going to try and find that other gear because they talk – they don't use the man ball stuff. Right. I mean, it talks about wanting to be a physical, you know, pounding attack and everything, but they also talk about being balanced, which the, the core belief here is to be able to pass the ball when you need to, and also be able to run the ball when you need to. I mean, you would rather do it running, but to be able to pass the ball when you need to, they haven't been able to pass the ball. Well, when they needed to, they passed it 51 times against South Carolina because the running game was stopped. And the result was a loss because when you pass it 51 times, you increase the chances of balls being picked off by the other team. Those interceptions weren't necessarily Fromm's fault either. One of them, the pick six was because he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds and he didn't. But, you know, the other ones were kind of blown routes. So are they stubborn after everything and say, we're just going to do what we've been doing, screw everybody um, this is who we are. Or did they actually in after the South Carolina game say, OK, we need to do some things differently. And did they have that 
planned, but then the weather prevented them from doing that. And we will see that more against Florida. I can't give you a firm answer on, on whether they are this stubborn group, and by they, basically Kirby, stubbornly clinging to this man ball philosophy, and he'll go down <laughs> to defeat with it if he has to. Let, let me see how they are against Florida. Do you agree with what I would argue is an increasing national perception that Kirby Smart can recruit, Kirby Smart can do the Alabama game plan, but in uh, big moments there is a, a tightening up or there is an overreaction or there is a panic or they're just – uh, he's prone to mistakes in big moments. That That is, I would argue, pretty increasingly uh, become uh, the perception, fair or not. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with that? It's definitely the perception. It's something he's got to answer. I, I don't think it comes from a place of, like, freezing. I, I think that they do need to fix what's gone wrong in the Alabama games. With, you know, I actually asked him at SEC Media Days this year, this summer, um, in just kind of that formal setting before things start. I said, so what do you think has been the problem in the Alabama games? Has it been the offense taking its foot off the gas, which is what a lot of people think? Or has it been conditioning and depth catching up to you or something else? And he said he didn't think it was either of those. He kind of pointed more to the defense, which had been playing well in both games, you know, kind of just didn't play as well down the stretch. So the worrisome thing, if you're a Georgia fan, is you're saying, well, I think the offense did take its foot off the gas. So for Kirby to say that wasn't the problem, then that's concerning. And then you look at the fake field goal against LSU, which was just not only badly executed, but why are you doing that on fourth and nine? You're making your kicker run for 16 yards. Um, the fake punt, which I think was actually defensible from a standpoint of Georgia's defense was gassed and Kirby did not want his defense going back on the field, but to do it by putting Justin Fields out there when he had not been on a punt unit all year. And so immediately Alabama players are saying, Hey, look. Um, And then this year with everything, the way it went into South Carolina, it's created this perception. I don't think he freezes up. I, I, don't think it's that. I think it may get back to a little bit of the the stubbornness thing, um, and it's a it's a question I have. It's the same thing with I want to see how they do against Florida in whether they're sticking with this run oriented man ball attack or whether they truly are opening it up. I want to see the next time we get in a close game. Um, you know, I, I, one thing I wonder about, and I think this manifested itself in the South Carolina game, and I think it also did in 2016 in South Carolina, where people forget at the end of the first half, Georgia didn't get a field goal off when they should have because they didn't call timeout in time, is when Kirby Smart is as hands-on as he is, is he spending a little bit too much time on the wrong thing? Is sometimes in the last couple minutes when you need to make these big decisions, is it better to have the CEO approach and just kind of be alone in your thoughts, looking around, thinking two or three plays ahead. Um, That's the question I think I I have going forward. It's something I'd love to talk to Kirby about when I get the time, um, when the time would be right. Uh, I don't know when that would be, but that's, that's the main thing. And yet he definitely has to answer the question of whether as a sideline tactician, 
he can close the deal in those situations. How much I'm curious about the level of you personally covering the team, having covered the team for a decade now, by the way. Sorry to make you feel old there. Um, but uh, have, having covered the team for a decade now and seen and certainly been very familiar with this fan base, which I think is – uh, has different facets to it. I don't think it's all just people screaming and yelling all the time, but I also don't think that it's it's everyone just being like eight wins is fine. We just want everyone to be happy. Like I think there, I think there's there's all sorts of different uh, sides of the fan base. Uh, do you think that some of because um, obviously this fan base has always been the offensive coordinator has always gotten it. It was Bobo and it was Schottenheimer and it was you know and obviously uh, everyone's always uh, everyone's always getting it and, and now it's Coley. But I'm curious, do you think that uh, I know you're you're a reporter and you don't boo, but uh, do you understand where the fans are coming from on that? Do you think that they are necessarily wrong to be frustrated with that kind of play calling? Yeah, I, I don't think that they are wrong when they've seen it result in a loss, like the South Carolina game. It, it, it was I was somebody pushing back against it before that game because um, there were people. Right. Writing me and saying, you know, they're not throwing in the middle of the field enough. They're, I, I did point out they have a lack of explosive plays. I wrote an entire story about mm-hmm. that, I think, before the South Carolina game. Um, but then I also kind of said there, there's a lot of this that is nitpicking about an offense that ultimately is putting up a lot of points and a lot of yards. And then everything just kind of – the nitpicking turned into like actually, you know what? Those were red flags when they lost to South Carolina. The booing against Kentucky doesn't happen if they don't lose to South Carolina. But if they pull that game out, if they, you know, if if Rodrigo hits that field goal and then Georgia wins it in the next overtime, are they kind of delaying the inevitable of all these issues coming to the fore? Um, Yeah, it's interesting. We're in uncharted territory this year with that game having happened because 2017 and 2018, they lost acceptable games. Right, right, they were right. crushed in both of them, but they lost at Auburn and at LSU two tough places to play two good teams and responded well to it and still got to the SEC championship game. This year they lost at home to South Carolina with some issues that were, were there before and just exploded so we're legitimately sitting here wondering, that's why it's at a crossroads, whether this is a team that just needed a, a wake-up call and it has gotten it and will react the same way it did the last two years, or whether this is just not a very good team. Yeah, and I have noticed a change. Again, we've all seen tough losses. Uh, to me, up to this point, the toughest loss was still the Alabama home game. Because uh, obviously the both the both games at the at the bins were difficult, but they were also like you were in the SEC yeah. championship game, and they were close games, and they were disappointing, but they didn't feel you know devastating, I guess, or they didn't feel they didn't feel uh, the best way to put it would be same old same old. And this is the first yeah. time I have heard since 2017, which was really the whoa, this is really happening. Georgia has been weaponized. It's all coming together. Kirby's the guy who's got this figured out. This is the first time, including the LSU loss and including the national championship game loss, including the Auburn loss, um, that I have heard, in fact, even including the Texas loss, because it was just a bowl game with a bunch of guys not playing. This is the first time I have heard, oh, same old dogs. 
Same old time. It's the first time I've heard this. Yeah. And like, I think of my, like your friend of mine, Ryan Skates, who does the great poor man's notes, like literally didn't do a poor man's notes after that game. Cause he said they break yeah. my heart again over and over and over. And to me, that is where this gets scary for them. Right. And I, and I, again, I don't mean scary as just in, in an X's and O's and recruiting aspect. I think people are leaping to conclusions like, well, they lost this recruit. So I guess this means they're fine. I don't know. No one's saying that or no reasonable person saying that. But this is the first time since Kirby Smart, alum, Georgia guy, the guy they've wanted forever has gotten here that you're like, uh oh, wow, maybe we are the same old Georgia. I hadn't seen that in any other loss. I think that to me, I don't know if they recognize that or not but that to me seems the scariest thing the fact that donors are already i don't know how many donors you talk to they seem very angry to me (laughs) they seem very angry and very uh immediately and 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 i would argue even almost unreasonably angry but i think it's not because obviously south carolina loss is bad but it does feel like wait i thought we were past this crap and and now uh, maybe they're not yeah i mean they're they're worried that they didn't actually improve over Mark Richt. Um, not that the Mark Richt years were this period in the wilderness, of course, of course. Um, but they moved on from Mark Richt because they wanted to go from good to great. And they thought they were great now. And now suddenly you lose a game at South at home against South Carolina when you're three touchdown underdogs. It was worse than anything since well before Mark Richt. And there's also nothing that brings out the boo birds. I think like boring play calling. And doing the same thing over and over, which was running the ball up the middle to no good result and continuing to do it. And that's what brought out the Bluebirds, I think, was people saying, what are you doing? And it should be obvious that this is just not working. Why are you continuing to do it? What happens if they lose to Florida? (laughs) <laughs> to me, that that's where this really turns. Like, you can talk yourself into a, you know what, things went weird in South Carolina. Like, I again, I just went through an upset through this with my Illini, who basically won in a very similar, very similar fashion over Wisconsin than Illinois did, uh, to, than Carolina did against Georgia. Like, the, the, Georgia was clearly the better team, Wisconsin was clearly the better team, but Illinois was opportunistic. They took advantage of, of of the big moments in the game and just snuck one out uh, at the right time. But it feels like nine times out of ten, Georgia is going to beat South Carolina, probably even more than that. It's just a weird thing happened. But if you lose to Florida, then you are not just, oh, a weird day happened. They didn't recover. Then you are – you couldn't come back. The problems are still the same. And the one thing that everyone was just assuming they had said was they were the class of the SEC East and everyone else was right. a step below trying to get back. Uh, a loss to Florida, to me, seems like beyond just the alarm bells of South Carolina, that's when I think things maybe get really hairy. Yeah, I think that's when you see a lot of stories, columns, think pieces, etc. on big picture stuff, which I think would be premature on like is is Kirby smart not that good um or not the guy yeah is not the guy is is, are the wheels falling off you'll see the over analysis on recruiting like they didn't get this guy the stuff the hardball's getting you'll start getting the hardball yeah 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 exactly but on a lesser 30,000 feet level and more of like a 10,000 feet level or maybe it's a I don't know it's right there foot level because that's probably what I'd be asking what I'd be writing, I mean, depending on how the Florida game goes, you get back to the, what does Georgia need to do? Like, you know, you you can't, you can't say the South Carolina game was a one-off. 
you've got to say there's big concerns here. And there'll be questions about James Coley's future. There'll be uh, questions about whether other staff changes need to be made and whether Kirby Smart needs a philosophical change on offense. This is assuming that the offensive issues are continue and they become the reason for the loss. I, I, I still think that this sets up as a game where Georgia rallies and and wins. Also look at Kirby Smart's history against Dan Mullen, which I'll be writing about next week, and say that he's got some sort of schematic kryptonite for that offense if you look at their history. So I would say that I've got to pick Georgia. But obviously the way Georgia's been playing, you can't be surprised if they do lose. And I think they'll be – you know, depending again on how it goes, could always be they thoroughly outplay Florida but lose on some freak plays. But yeah, absolutely, the expectation was at minimum they're going to win the SEC East. And if they're not going to Atlanta, then that's a huge disappointment because it's it's not happening because they went seven and one in the SEC and just lost at the wrong time to Florida. It would be happening because they went six and two or worse with a home loss to South Carolina. I'm curious if you think so. You, let's say they rebound and they go on the rest of the way and they and they beat everyone, or maybe they lose to whatever. I mean, maybe they lose to Auburn or maybe they lose one more game, uh, but still go to the SEC East uh, uh, when go to the SEC championship game. Lose. You're looking at three losses there. That feels like it. Like a, it, it. It's funny to think now how quickly with one loss you went. We all went from um, okay. Well, the SEC East is obviously just the birthright. We all not go go that goes to okay. Now we have to like just hang on to that at that point. And I'm and that's what I mean. If they lose the SEC East, and listen, they can still lose the SEC East and win against Florida. Like that, I feel like that's mm-hmm. possible. It's yeah. not, uh, it, it could certainly still happen that way. But do you like? It does. I, I, this is the problem of 17, right? This is kind of, this is really kind of, uh, I know people like to do those comparisons between Mark Rick's first two years and Kirby Smart's first two years. And they're obviously different things. And there's obviously, not only are the Georgia in different places, but the sport is in a different place, uh, in, in entirely. But the thing that they do have similar is they set the expectation. They set the expectation mm-hmm. that like the breakthrough's about to come and it's about to come. And to me, that's the real danger zone. The real danger zone for me is, uh, okay, you could accept uh, losing the SEC, uh, SEC championship game last year because, frankly, people kind of forget now, but like Georgia was a heavy underdog in that game, and not a lot of Georgia fans thought they were going to win it. So to act like, oh, our hearts were broken again, people were kind of devastated. By, uh, people were, did not expect them to win uh, going into that game, and then got excited halfway through and then disappointed. Uh, right. the, the dangerous place is – the dangerous Rick place is not the team is back at 10 and two every year. Uh, the dangerous Rick place is, yep. Same old dogs, same old dogs. And, uh, I feel like even if you get to the SEC East championship game and lose, if it's not like, and if you, if you lost two games or if it's not close, you're still kind of back in there. And then next year, what the third game of the year is Alabama, <laughs> like mm-hmm. at Alabama, like to me, this feels that loss took a, uh, and this is what college football is now, right? Uh, it took a situation that felt as stable and fine as anything in college football and all of a sudden made it very perilous very quickly. Yeah. And it, it's same old Georgia, but in a different way. And, and I think what would be demoralizing for a lot of people is that they feel like they've taken a diametrically different approach. They've, 
you know, they've got a coach with a more hands-on attitude rather than the laid-back, seemingly low-key, detached Mark Richt. Um, they've got a defensive-oriented coach from the Nick Saban school doing all these Nick Saban-type things. They're pouring all this money into the program. They're recruiting well, and it's still not going well. The other thing that would be worrisome, and, and by the way, Georgia could still go on and win the national championship. Absolutely. This year. Absolutely. And, and we're, we're talking like you know we're burying the program. But the, the thing that you worry about is that if all right, Kirby Smart is now in his fourth year, he has continued to recruit well. The more he's gotten his own players and the better he's recruited – at this point, they've actually regressed a little bit. They went throwing the first year out. Second year, obviously, just great. Third year, a little bit less great, but still good. And then this year, six and one, but an underwhelming six and one, and lost at home to South Carolina. And if they go to ten and two, even you would say, well, they're exactly. the more it's his program, the more they're not producing on the field, which will. Again, set the perception, the narrative, whatever you want to say, of somebody who can recruit really well, but not as great a, a game day coach. Just a couple more questions, and then uh, and, and the last two are just silly. I'm curious. I when I was talk, talking with my friend Ben about the, his his theory about the playoff, I said I don't, I don't know. If, I want to know if you think this is true or not. If Georgia goes eleven and one over the next every year for the next five years. And wins the SEC East every year or misses maybe one of those five years, uh, but never wins a national championship. A, is Kirby Smart still the coach at the end of those five years? And if in, um, and yeah, is he still the coach at the end of those five years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think so? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark Rick got 15 years. Well, um, yeah, but it's obviously like there's there's already more heat on Kirby Smart than there. You were I I wasn't here, but I would have to imagine there's more heat on Kirby Smart now than there was in Mark Rick in year four. I I still think that, and it it's a different world. Get, yeah, I I still think it would have to get to, it would have to seriously regress things off, you know, off the field that kind of thing. Just not winning it all, not winning SEC championships. You know, I, that's still that's still tough. I mean, what if Florida but, wins one? <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, it would also. I mean, you don't know what the administration looks like at that point. Right. right. Um, it won't be the current one. Um, yeah, the, the boosters. How unhappy they would be, I mean, which ones, and and who else is out there? I mean, a big part of why Mark Rick was let go was because Kirby Smart was out there, yeah, yeah. as an alum, and and so yeah, I mean, we're 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 projecting way ahead, but yeah, I mean, know, there, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I mean, we who knows if we're even going to be able to play football outside in five years, so. yes, yeah, <laughs> or play football at all for that matter. Uh, okay, just two more questions. Uh, one is a, qu- a quick one, and I really this is my biggest question that I do not understand. And so I, I th- theoretically, I could probably, um, uh, I'm a professional journalist. I could probably put in a request to go to the press conference and probably get into one, but I'm not going to do that because I, uh, I would do a poor job at it, and I'm also inherently attached to my desk. So I'm going to ask you to ask this question if you could. Could you ask Kirby at this next press conference? I was watching the Kentucky game. If why? During a nonstop rainstorm, where it rains for four hours, he would choose to wear the one hat that will not stop his head from getting wet. 
<laughs> I, that one didn't even occur to me. What, what was he wearing? The he visor. Wearing... Of course he was wearing a visor. Like oh. it's pouring down rain yeah. and he's still wearing the damn visor. There are ev- there's literally it's the only hat that won't keep your hair dry. <laughs> well, I think he would game. say it 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 keeps it, it does keep the key part dry. I mean, it doesn't like get to the face part, yes. the forehead. And, All and hats it, it do isolates. That. All hats do that. That's what a hat is. I'm just not sure he has those. I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've seen Kirby wearing a, a traditional hat, yeah, it's a cap. A yeah, I mean, um, maybe he has at some point, but I see him in the visor or, I mean, he wears the visor at practice too. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, if you see him out golfing, I think he's in a visor. I don't, I don't remember seeing him in a regular cap. He probably just doesn't own one. Visors are for football coaches and like weird poker players and, and cashiers in like seventies movies set in New York. I think that's all. Yeah, golfers, uh, golfers, yes, they, and golfers. Of yeah, and, and Kirby is one. Yeah, he is. Just saying, just wear a real hat. Um, okay, and the last thing because I've gotten you here, uh, I am going to ask you about about basketball because I'm here and I'm always pestering you to write more about basketball. So I have you here. I was not at the scrimmage uh, nor the exhibition game. I will be at the opening game, November fifth, I believe, uh, against Western Carolina. Um, what have you? Uh, what do you think so far? Should we? Uh, I, I, how much have you been able to tell from Ant Man? Uh, I certainly see since, since there's more excitement. Uh, around the program. I don't know if it's going to transfer, uh, transition into an actual tournament appearance this year, but I'm curious, does he need, like, the, to me, the bad, the worst case scenario for Georgia is to have, uh, like the, the Alabama, uh, what's the name of the point guard that plays for Cleveland? I've forgotten his name. It's fallen out of my head. But, uh, uh yeah. Sexton. Thank, thank you. Thank Colin Sexton. Yeah. Uh, well, basically he's there for one year and they don't even get a tournament game out of it or they, or they just crap out of there. Do you, do you think that, the, like, it's a great recruiting get? But eventually, you do have to actually win, and it does. They look to me like an intriguing team, and and Edwards will be fun to watch. But I don't know if they look like a tournament team. Yeah, Edwards is legit. I mean, he's six foot five, well built, really good shot, gets a shot off quickly, can drive well, especially at that size. I mean, he's a pro. He be in the NBA right now, um, and George is probably lucky. The one and done rule is not done yet. Um, but yeah, the question is around him. I don't know how strong they're going to be in the post. I don't know how many three point shooters they have around Edwards to burn teams for doubling him. Um, yeah, I, I, there, there's a lot of questions to be answered. They, They know they've got one of the best players in the conference at minimum. Um, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll be interesting to watch. And I, Interesting to see how they gel. I'm going to see how these other freshmen do and how they play off. Who who develops and plays off well of, of the pressure that Edwards is going to be getting, and the, who who's the which guys will benefit and what they'll be able to do with what should be more opportunities because of the way the defense is going to be playing Edwards. Before I before I say that this team is or isn't a tournament team, I I think it's a little bit of a coin flip right now whether they make the tournament. All right. Well, just know that I will be bothered if I have to send you the question. If I have to go in and be one of your commenters at the athletic and just holler like, "Hey, come on, preview this game against the Citadel for me." Yeah, Seth, I know that people I mean, are into the it Missouri. Was a, it was a Friday night when I did that exhibition game observations yeah. thing. 
and it was just exhibition game observations. But the analytics we got back on it were not too encouraging for me to continue. Friday to night, Friday night exhibition. Go out Friday. That's like yeah. it's, that's like a Friday news dump, Seth. Come on. Yeah, I know. I know. Get the team winning some games. They'll get moving. Um, yeah. All right, Seth. Thank you, as always, for your time. I, I'm, thank you for letting me come on and harangue you, by the way. For, the, for And, of course, your podcast. You have your podcast. Uh, it, 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 am I correct in hearing that Tony Waller had something to do with the naming of your podcast? He named it. Oh. He named it. Tony, Tony I, I, I reached out to him, and I'm like, all right, I'm doing this podcast. Um, and I'd actually talked to him about, like, uh, about it. I think before that, I forget, just kind of bouncing ideas off of him. And then I, I, I sent him a text and said, I, I need some suggestions. And he had a few suggestions, but one of them was damn good podcast. And I'm like, oh, that's it. That's the name. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think I gave him credit even on the show, the first show that he was the one who provided the name. I, see, yeah, I think he was OK with that being out there. Yeah, well, uh, well, I'm just saying that. Uh, um, uh, to be clear, I think is the phrase, the usual Tony Waller phrase. Maybe we'll use that one now for for the next podcast. All right, uh, Seth, thank you. I now owe you two dinners, so thank you. All right, so uh, we'll we'll do that. I'll tell you what, we'll do that rather than you filing a Friday night story on Georgia basketball. That's obviously not worth your analytical time. I'm gonna I'm gonna well, start refreshing. I, I'm gonna just start refreshing every single one of those pieces. If you keep buying me dinner, I'll go out. Friday nights and, and cover basketball. Okay, fair enough. It's a deal. Yeah. It's okay. A deal. okay. All, right. All right, Seth, thank you very much. The podcast is damn good podcast. Obviously, if you are not reading Seth Emerson on The Athletic, I feel like we can't be friends anymore. So uh, read Seth on The Athletic. It's great stuff, obviously. Seth, thank you. And uh, I promise uh, I won't bother you again until uh, I bother you again, owing you three <laughs> Anytime, man. All right, take care. All right, uh, I'll take it off to Scott. Bye. This is the podcast. See ya. Words ending completion. All right. Scott is unavailable, by the way. This is, this is, by the way, Seth's gone. So you can say everything you want to say about him now because he's not here. Just go nuts. It's, it's really just, just let, cut loose. The guy likes it. He likes your insult. He, he feeds off of your hate. Anyway, he's not here, so you can say whatever you want. The point is, thank you, Seth, for doing that. That was a good show. I always like to do that. I owe him two dinners now. I'm going to go somewhere cheap. You know where I should take him. I should take him to the affordable, yet tasty, Taco place that is El Barrio. And five points. By my house. No one's down if you're there and I'm not. Anyway, I'll probably take them there. I got like a gift certificate for them, for them you know, sponsoring this show. Nothing, nothing says thank you more than paying for a man's meal with a gift certificate. Anyway, that's Seth. Uh, Scott's unavailable to do the intro and the outro, which is why I'm doing it. And I'm kind of winging it. As if you couldn't possibly tell that already. So just a reminder, subscribe to us, follow us, WSLS Podcast, all that sort of business. We will be back taping Tuesday night for our Florida preview. Uh, let's see what happens, everybody. This is kind of an exciting time. Uh, I don't know how this is all going to turn out, but boy, howdy, if they lose to Florida, uh, to, to quote the scientist played by Samuel L. Jackson in the 1993 blockbuster Jurassic Park, say what again? No, wait, that's a different, that's a different Samuel Jackson performance from the early to mid-90s. Sorry. This is Radio Raheem. No, that's not Radio Raheem. That's the other guy from Do the Right Thing. He actually didn't play Radio, do that. Radio Raheem Do the Right Thing. Anyway, you should see Do the Right Thing. It's very good. Point is, hold on to your butts. That's what we're trying to get to there. Hold on to your butts because stuff will get real. Anyway, that was Seth. Drop him a line. Listen to the damn good podcast named by Tony Waller. And uh, come back, you know, and listen to us on Tuesday. 
Thank you for listening. All that sort of business. Thank you for listening to me ramble about the vegan options at the Pine on the show last week. I'm never going to eat any of the vegan stuff. I'm a Midwesterner. There are no Midwestern vegans. There's never been one. Never in the wild. They're like a Yeti, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, or a currently reasonable Republican. Anyway, see you all on Tuesday. Bye.